All right. This is Beyond the Hate. I'm Steven. I'm John. And we're just sitting here. I'm in my platinum kung fu robe. John's in his Mr. Roger, Roger sweater vest. <laughs> you know, just kidding. Want to. I have been sick, and this is the most comfortable damn thing you could be in right now. <laughs> what, I, what I want to get is I want to get one of those robes like uh, Snoke has in The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. He's got that, like, uh, that gold finger type robe, <laughs> the all sparkly gold robe. <laughs> I, I think all elderly people should now wear that robe just to, like, totally freak out every every kid that walks right. by them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like, was that Snoke? <laughs> I think that was Snoke. It was just, it was either Snoke or some like really old dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying Snoke. <laughs> yeah. This is like E.T. We got a Star Wars appearance. Yeah. <laughs> Today if only we're old people could be as cool as Andy Circus. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I mean, because he seems immortal. I mean, what was Lord of the Rings movie like? 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hasn't he, Andy Serkis hasn't aged a day. No, I think he's gotten younger. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like a Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. He's just he's just totally just aging in reverse. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but today we're talking about Timothy Dalton's James Bond. Uh, if you couldn't tell by the intro. Yes, I mean that's that's what we're talking about. We just didn't play that for fun, which we're known to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, doing like rolls and stuff into bushes and all that kind of stuff which happens none in this movie is <laughs> well it depends because when you're talking about timothy dalton you have two bond movies the living daylights and license to kill so the thing about dalton's run as bond is you know and, and i'm pretty sure you have more of the stats on that but this was supposed to have been pierce brosnan yeah it was supposed to be pierce brosnan um uh, but uh, it was because of Remington Steel, his contract with Remington Steel, he couldn't play Bond, which they actually ended up canceling Remington Steel anyway. Yeah. So they later found out that he could have played Bond, but Timothy Dalton had already been casted and they were already shooting the movie. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things a lot of people uh, hate it because... Uh, they weren't a big fan of Timothy Dalton's really serious James Bond. Uh, the License to Kill was a budget of $32 million, made $34. Uh, wasn't super profitable. Timothy Dalton decided not to come back for a third one. He didn't get fired. He decided on his own not to come back. Uh, it also took a long time before they'd make another one because it was, what, 95 when they made Goldeneye? So you have, what is it, like a five-year hiatus, basically, where there's no Bond movies being made. And that was just because of, uh, you know, legal things going on with the licensing rights and all that kind of stuff. Then you get that cleared up until, ooh, I think, like, 93 or something yeah. like that. And the, the, the third Timothy Dalton movie was supposed to be called uh, Property of a Lady. It was already titled. The uh, script was already in the works. Um which is better than what Aerosmith would have come up with, was his dude looks like a lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie would have been horrible. 
Steven Tyler wrote the original version of the movie, then they said, this is garbage. <laughs> you can make this into a song, but we're not going to put money in this for a movie. But anyway. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing that we know Timothy Dalton from before he was Bond was he was in Flash Gordon. Uh, as, uh, Which actually surprised me, because I don't remember Dalton at all. Prince Barn. Uh, he was there, but he wasn't like you know a focal point or anything, but... He was in other things that he starred in before then. I was just talking about money-wise that people put into movies. Flash Gordon was kind of a, you know, big production in those times because it was a sci-fi movie that, you know, that was trying to compete with things like, I don't know, Star Wars. Yeah, and then some yeah. of the Star Trek stuff. Yeah, so it was it was one of those things. And uh, But Dalton's like a Shakespearean actor. And I think maybe that's the th reason why people didn't like him because they were like he's gonna he's gonna take his Shakespearean approach to Bond, and uh, which uh, he didn't he didn't really he uh, I mean the opening scene of uh, Living Daylights is probably one of the best opening scenes for any Bond film. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. And just a full disclosure, Timothy Dalton, I would say. It's probably my favorite Bond. My, my number two would be Daniel Craig, because I do love me some Daniel Craig. But the reason I like Craig as much as I do is because of what Timothy Dalton did in the two movies that he had. Yeah, because don't don't get any doubt about it. I don't even really think there's an argument there. If you watch Timothy Dalton's James Bond and you watch Daniel Craig's, Daniel Craig pretty much decided, I want to do that. I want to do a, a more cold, brutal and more serious take on it because the other thing you have to think about too is when they brought in Dalton it was basically at the end of the Roger Moore era right so they're thinking okay well we're gonna bring in you know a new actor and you know cheese ball kind of like you know I almost would kind of call it slapstick moments like you'd have in some <laughs> of the Roger Moore ones and you know we're, we're beyond the hate right so we're not gonna like hate on roger moore we're not gonna talk about roger moore he played in more bond movies than anybody else but that was the scripts that they gave him i yeah, mean roger were... moore as an actor is an amazing actor yeah some of the stuff was overly cheesy some people like it some some people hate it and we're we're not you know we're not the haters one of my favorite movies uh, in the entire bond series is the man with the golden gun which has roger moore which, in it. which is roger moore so you know there's there's likes and when you do that many movies somebody's bound not to love every one of them to nitpick i mean people yeah, even uh, nitpick craig they're like oh well specter was the worst one of them all yeah um, which i disagree i no. mean my favorite is skyfall but that's mainly because of the villain and the arc of the movie i think it's just Silva. Yeah, it's Silva Javier Bardem. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come on. And you also get to see, uh, you know, Bond's relationship with M a lot. Yeah. But I think the the reason why everybody sort of is starting to turn around on Bolton on, on Dalton a little bit is because of what Craig did with it. So some people were like, oh yeah, it kind of reminds me of how Dalton did it. And then you'd have people going back to like rewatch it again. You know, on like streaming services because it was like on Hulu. Uh, all the Bond movies came up on Hulu around Thanksgiving time. Yeah, e even uh, I, I would just like to say real quick. I'm sorry, I interrupt you. That's fine. Uh, but even the uh, uh, things with the sex, even similar with Timothy Dalton, because they uh, they uh, didn't put a lot of sex into Bonds then because of the AIDS crisis, and even in 
Daniel Craig's version, they insinuate to it and they show a little bit of kissing, but then they usually cut away. Yeah. Um, it actually seems shot the same way to kind of show you that this is supposed to kind of be that. It's my, more of an insinuation than yeah, actually showing yeah. it. Because yeah. there's the whole, uh, be, you know, the, uh, the beginning of Casino Royale where, you know, he's trying to get information and he's, he's like, you know, trying to get the next little piece to find out, you know, where that guy had went. And so he ends up like, uh, you know, basically bringing his, that mis the, his mistress or whatever in. And then she's thinking like, okay, yeah, we're about to do something. And then he ends up getting the information from her and then just leaves. <laughs> I mean, he never actually has sex oh, with her. Well, you know, Bond is a total narcissist. But right. that's what makes him great at being an uh, agent. I mean... Yeah, well, you kind of have to be to be a spy. I think you. I think it's gonna have to be a requirement. That's why they prefer prefer orphans, right? Um, so they don't have attachments. They don't really have family anymore, and I, that's one of the things I think that's interesting about Dalton's Bond is that they don't really go into any of his backstory or his history really at all. It's just kind of like the missions are what is important. Well, in License to Kill, it goes a little bit into his history, just a little bit, because, you know, because of Felix Leiter and, you know, the relationship that he has with Felix, because he's done plenty of missions with Felix. And then, you know, there's also the little uh, bit where, you know, Della's like, you know, James, you know, whoever catches this next, you know, the tradition. And, you know, when she's about to throw her, you know, her, you know, her corsage or whatever. And, uh,. Or it's the the thing that the ladies do whenever they're uh, get you know whenever they get married and they, they pull it off their leg and they throw it oh yeah you know and um, so you know and he's like no I, I, you know I, I don't you know don't worry about that and so it, it kind of harkens back to you know when he was married in um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service and then you know she ends up getting killed at the end of that movie it's uh, there's there's not a whole lot of time that they dig into Bond's history when Dalton's movies. But in like a living daylights, they almost spend no time with anything that he's done before. It's just like as soon as you get into living daylights, it's like boom. Uh, here's the cold open. Uh, you have these undercover Russian agents that are, are like this Russian agent that's like taking out these other double O's, and it's like a training exercise. And they're using those as like paintballs, right? Yeah, they're doing the yeah. paintballs. You're dead. You're yeah. dead. And then you then you see the guy just get shot with a paintball and then just kill the dude. Right. And then he kills the agent by cutting his rope and making him fall to his death. And then Timothy Dalton sees it and then pursues. And it's awesome. It's amazing opening scene. It actually kind of reminds me of, uh, just sky. Quantum of Solace's opening scene through the crane and stuff. Oh yeah. 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 It almost kind of reminds me of that type of thing. I got. <laughs> I was trying to think of Skyfall again, but yeah, well, Skyfall actually has something similar, but that um, train, train scene is uh, a little bit more intense because basically Bond gets shot and falls off the side of the train. Yeah. I would say spoilers, but if you haven't seen it by now, you're not going to. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, the thing is, when you start looking through the hate comments, and uh, man, there's some hate comments for Timothy Dalton. And I think that when you look at this, and I have uh, the comments, the oldest comment that I have in here is actually the first one, which is from 1999. Right. And so at that point, 
Uh, that he was... thought the world was going to end. He had to get this comment <laughs> yeah. out. This was Y2K. This was December 4th, 1999. He when... thought Y2K was going to happen. The world was going to plunge into chaos. <laughs> right. I need to tell everybody about how much I hated living daylights. <laughs> but the most exciting thing that happened was Y2J. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. That's right. Break the walls down. Right. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll probably never do an episode on Chris Jericho because I think everybody loves Chris Jericho. Yeah, it does. It's it's unanimous. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, so the first comment that I have here, and um, this is... Uh, uh, well, it says Sparky is the username. They don't actually put their real name on here. Cause, that makes I mean, sense. <laughs> if you're going to trash T-Dalt, you want to use your real name for the yeah, so he, she finds you. Yeah, so his 6'2 guy could come kick your ass. Right? Because uh, Dalton did most of his own stunts. Yeah, he, he's a legit so badass. So he was like, back in the 80s, he was a pretty legit badass. When he, when he plays Bond, the, uh, you can definitely tell that Craig takes a lot of from Dalton's version of it because... Timothy Dalton loved to do his own stunts because he's like, I want them to actually see Bond doing this. And yep. Craig is exactly the same way. Yeah, that's why people that hate him for his on-again, off-again things like where he should play Bond or not, it's because he actually wants to be able to do the Bond stuff in the movies. And Craig's like 50 now no, or somewhere around close, that. Yeah. You know, he's close to his 50s. And his wife, Rachel Weiss, uh, she's really, you know... She doesn't want him to get hurt. Yeah. So I mean, if you're married to Rachel Wise, you wouldn't want to get hurt either. Yeah. No. I mean, because I want to be able to, I want to be able to like go home after shooting a movie and get with my beautiful wife Rachel Wise. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That makes entire. That makes a lot of sense. Not not a hater, but she she got replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Batman. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> No, no, that, that was, was Katie, Katie Holmes. Holmes. Yeah, they have the same face. My <laughs> bad. Go no, when I think Rachel hate. Wise, I think of the Mummy movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Still the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies. Haven't Not, seen anything with Tom Cruise in it yet. Yeah, so. we don't we don't know about that one. We don't know about that one. But anyway, uh, so basically, this is from uh, Sparky seventy six because like, maybe that's when they were born was seventy six. I don't know. Uh, but they, Sparky, they're, they're, guarantee um, you, Sean Connery fan. <laughs> Uh, well, no, we'll have to go in here because uh, some of these people are all over the place with who they like as Bond, right? So I'm just guessing. The tagline says, all dressed up and no place to go, right? <laughs> so, yet again, this is 1999. So, uh, it says, uh, I saw this film twice when it came out and enjoyed it for its entertainment value. Uh, think, uh, I think he meant to say, I think Dalton and uh, Mariam Diaba, who played... Uh, Kara in the movie, where right. she's like, she's the main Bond girl, the blonde-headed, uh, she's Russian? She was Russian. Yeah, Kara? I think yeah. so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kara was Russian. Uh, were charming in their roles. Those who think this film was among the best in the Bond series, though, have it all wrong. So oh, the, this guy has it right. He has the answers. Everybody listen up. Right. So he says, uh, uh, Dalton should never have been cast as 007. He's gentle, idealistic, at times brutish, uh, these are not characteristics of a secret agent, even the cartoonish kind. These are not qualities developed by Dalton's predecessors. He's the Bond antithesis. One might reasonably wonder why the secret agent in this film doesn't hand in his resignation and get a job as a management consultant. I get it. This guy recruits for the CIA. So he knows <laughs> the qualifications to be an agent. Right. <laughs> and uh, 
gentle and brutal, that's that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, yeah, because like, <laughs> he says that he's gentle, idealistic, and at times brutish. And it's like, I don't know where it gets the idealistic part from. Because if you, because this is the Living Daylights, right? I'm going over Living Daylights first because it was the first one. Yeah, I that think he, did. he just thought it sounded good in a sentence. I don't know yeah. if he knew exactly what he was trying but, to like, say. I don't know how, I mean, Dalton doesn't really come across as being idealistic in that movie. No. The only thing that's idealistic about it, I guess, is like, you know, that he only has sex with one woman, which is the woman's boat that he lands on at the beginning of the movie. He never has sex with Carr, at least not that we, not that we actually see. We don't see because, you know, like I said, the AIDS crisis kind of had that out of movies for a few years where... Uh, people were just having sex with each other a lot. Yeah. Because they were afraid that they were encouraging it, and it was a big deal in those and days. Bond was also seen as, like, you know, the height of masculinity because he always gets, you know, gets with the woman. That's but... why she's on the phone. She was like, I need a real man, and he literally falls into the boat. Yeah. Which is <laughs> great. I also like the bit when, uh, when he, like, you know, he basically just, like, kind of takes her phone and then calls in to headquarters to tell them, like, you know, to, to like, extract them out of there. And uh, it was like, uh, he's like, you know, you know, come get me in one hour. And then he, and then she, like, hands him, like, some champagne. And he's like, make that too. <laughs> yeah. He, he knew it was about to go down. He was awesome. I mean, it, you actually believed that Timothy Dalton could just kind of just pick up girls. Uh, unlike some of the other people that might have played Bond, where you're just kind of like, I get it because he's a secret agent, but... Could these people really do this? But that's that's for another time. Right. <laughs> but uh, it says, uh, uh, so here we go. So you were right on the money by saying that this person was a Connery fanboy. Boom. I could tell so, by Spanky. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, uh, Connery, of course, was the best Bond who ever, uh, probably whoever played it, I guess is what they meant. Uh, and while some accuse his character of being sadistic, misogynistic and unemotional bond lives in a world where he must be cool under fire he's clearly a casanova who enjoys different women's company and will never settle down and wry charm of course is the man's trademark well bond did settle down uh if you ever watched <laughs> uh the uh on her majesty's secret service he actually uh was like i'm just gonna quit and get married yeah so, so that's invalid yeah and then, you know, the whole thing about Bond being, being misogynistic and sadistic, like, Dalton's Bond isn't necessarily sadistic, I wouldn't say. The only part that he gets maybe a little sadistic is in License to Kill. But we'll, you know, we'll get to that when we get to License well, to Kill. Well, one of the only ones that was actually misogynistic was Sean Connery. Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know people want to compare, you know, performances. I mean, basically... When you watch uh, Goldfinger, I mean, he basically forces himself on Pussy Galore. Like, forces himself onto her in the haystacks. And eventually she just kind of, like, decides, well, I'm not really going to be a lesbian anymore because he's so manly. I'm just going to... Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to flip teams and I'm going to all of a sudden Uh, go for this... All the manliness, you know, I'm going to go for the manly James Bond played by Connery. That's the era when people thought homosexuality was a mental disorder. That could be yeah. cured, so that that makes sense in movie form back then. But today, you you couldn't film that scene. That's 1964. Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> you so could nowadays, not film that scene. if you if you have Bond come across as being like you know sexually harassing or not really listening to the word no, 
Uh, That's right. Especially in the Harvey Weinstein era that we're in now. Where yeah. Everybody and anybody can get fired for like sexual harassment working on like TV or movies. If you know, when you look at Goldfinger now, you're like, oh my god, the '60s were so different because she's she's a lesbian in that movie. Um, up until um, she, you know, she meets James, and then they have. She's like, I'm not a lesbian anymore because yeah. you know that's a choice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So, but you know, it's, just, it's 1964, <laughs> yeah. so I don't think a lot of people I, knew. No, well, I didn't want to know, that. really. I mean, it, besides, it was... Fleming also had a little bit of a fascination with lesbians, anyway, because he yeah. made several of his characters lesbians. But, but anyway, so I mean, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> uh, I like lesbian movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so it says uh, he. So he says here, Dalton is the politically correct Bond. Liked by those, perhaps, who never warmed up to the original formula, which I would imagine he means Connery. Uh, does that make him the more authentic Bond? No one as nice as Dalton would ever be given a license to kill. Dalton's two films are the apocrypha of the Bond series. Well, no, see, okay, so I gotta stop you there, because isn't the uh, whole idea of a secret agent is to appear one thing, but be another, right? Right. He's not supposed to appear deadly and sadistic he's supposed to blend in as a regular dude. as a regular guy he's supposed to not seem like he's dangerous or lethal or anything like that he's he's a spy which means he's supposed to not look like a spy or <laughs> and that's like one or at like one and that's what timothy dalton does through the span of the two movies he's Whenever very he's... very good in his when he's in spy mode he's really in spy mode yeah, don't don't yeah, don't mistake that. That was a choice by Timothy Dalton. He's he's not a shitty actor where he's like, "Well, this is the only way I can act." It's not the only way he can act. He did it because he was like, "Bond is a spy. People need to believe he's not a spy." Yeah. And especially cuz like most of the movie he's dealing with Kara, and if he came off as this like, you know, sadistic, you know, brutish guy like, you know, this guy is basically making him out to be do you think Kara would have like felt safe with him? No. No, not at all. I mean, Bond's trying to get something accomplished. So, you know, basically getting Kara under his wing and then, you know, basically having her take him to uh, Georgi, that's what he's trying to do. You know, if he came across as sadistic, she'd never trust him. And first off, he knew something was wrong when he saw that the sniper was a woman. Because, you know, when they're setting up the, the sniper thing up in the window... He looks across and he was like, no, it's a woman. And he ends up shooting the gun instead of shooting her. But that was because he was like, that doesn't look right. If that had been a dude up in that window, he probably would have been like, okay, I'm just going to take this dude yeah, out. I'm just and then, gonna... I'm gonna, then I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. And we're going to handle this defection thing. But then once he starts to, you know, once he you know meets up with Kara and then realizes that she was just kind of set up for this. And she was just part of the plan. His hunch was right. But, you know, if he was sadistic and just shot her, th that entire movie would have been so much different, you know? Yeah. But that's because he uses intelligence instead of just being, like, an instrument, you know? Because that's, like, that's one of the things that people always say is that, like, well, Bond's basically just, like, an instrument of Her Majesty's government. Well, he is to a degree, but he also has to be able to make decisions in the field. And in that yeah. case, he made the right decisions. Yeah, he can't always have someone in his ear. Telling him exactly what to do. He has to judge for himself. That's why he's highly trained. And then Timothy Dalton's Bond is almost 
uh, compared to Sean Connery's, is almost the same argument as uh, Picard and Kirk to me. Right. Uh, both are likable in their own ways, but people prefer one to the other. Yeah. And uh, Timothy Dalton uh, movies didn't have the success Sean Connery's did, but Sean Connery basically didn't want to play Bond anymore. He was pretty yeah. much done with it. Yeah, after he made You Only Live Twice, he was like, I'm done. Yeah. You're not going to be able to bring me back. And then they had their, you know, then they went to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and they had the little stint with Lazenby, and then they had to pay Connery a million dollars salary to have him come back, <laughs> you know, to do Diamonds Are Forever, because they were like, well, we don't have a new Bond, and, you know, we really want you to come back, Sean, if he'll do another one. And the thing is, is that Connery's Bond... If you're going to compare, you know, Bonds to each other, Connery's Bond was from the 1960s. And Ian Fleming loved Connery as Bond because he thought that he played the part really well. Right. Ian Fleming himself even changed the novels after that to make it where Bond was Scottish because he got so used to the idea of Connery being Bond. So Ian Fleming definitely liked him. But if you look at the characterization of what Bond was like in the novels, it's very much like Timothy Dalton's version. Yeah, and what, that's what they were going for. And uh, I actually seen that that was some of the complaints, was that Timothy Dalton's was too much like the books, and they wanted the movie world of James Bond. But when you look at the fact that you've already had, up until Dalton stepped into it, you've had three people that had played it, Connery, George Lazenby, and then Roger Moore, all three of them kind of had a little bit of a different take on it. You know, because Connery... His take was different from Lazenby's. Of course, Lazenby only had the one movie. But Roger Moore's was totally different because Roger Moore didn't really like to use guns that much. He didn't really like to use guns. Usually when he killed people in the movies, it was uh, using the environment to kill them. You know, Timothy Dalton has no qualms about shooting people. And especially when he gets into License to Kill, he has no problems with killing people if it means that it's you know going to be yeah. mission accomplished. He's actually what a spy, spy is supposed to be. And speaking of uh, George Lazenby and uh, uh, Sir Roger Moore. Rest in peace. Yes, sir. Uh, the casting of Frederick uh, Warder and uh, Glenn Baker as 004 and 002 um, at the first of the Living Daylights movie, it was intentional because they look like you know George Lazenby and Roger Moore. And that's why it was supposed to... The writers wanted to have a little fun and misdirect you of who was supposed to be Bond. It, I mean, everybody knew it was Timothy Dalton at that point, but they just wanted to have fun. Like, oh, here's a couple of guys that look like, you know, Roger Moore's and George Lazenby's uh, Bonds, and then they killed them very quickly. Right. And it was almost like a statement of, like, well, the previous two guys, this the, he is not like that, and he's not like either of them. No. Not at all. He's definitely not like Roger Moore. Like, Roger Moore definitely could not have been in License to Kill, especially. Because you couldn't take him seriously. Would you say Pierce Brosnan's Bond was like anybody? Brosnan? Uh, I would say that Brosnan took little bits of Timothy Dalton's performance, but tried to go back to Connery, I think. Connery. So a little bit of Timothy Dalton, a little bit a of, lot of Connery. A lot of Connery. Did he even put his own twist on it, or did he just kind of mix the two? I think he did. I think he went through... Brosnan, I think, tried to use a little bit more humor than normal. Okay, so he tried to get a little in on the humor. They toned down the cheesiness a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
Because okay. after License to Kill, you know, because that movie is very, very different in its tone. It's very different from almost any other Bond. But that's the thing is, like, when, when you look at something like Living Daylights, Living Daylights was written with the idea that they were probably going to have Pierce Brosnan. So they were, they were thinking, okay, well, we're going to have him coming in to do this. By the time they get to License to Kill, they already know that they're going to have Timothy Dalton doing it. And License to Kill, I think, is basically Dalton taking Bond into an area that he wanted to take it, where it was more personal to him. And that personal take of Bond carries over even into Daniel Craig's. Fans of Benicio Del Toro should also know that this was his acting debut and he was uh, one of the youngest, no, not one of, the youngest villain to ever be in a Bond movie. Yeah, um, Dario in License to Kill is still, like, even though he's kind of like the second in command to, to Sanchez, he, he's brutal. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's one of the best parts of the movie. And this is where he started. How many people would have liked to start right there? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, is, that is insane. But, uh, so getting back to Living Daylights, I know we're jumping a little bit here, but, you know, sometimes when you're talking about T-Dalt, you gotta, you have to kind of switch gears, because... We get excited. Sometimes you'll have a point that is made in the other movie, you know, and you have to kind of jump a bit. But anyway, uh, so it basically, uh, this, this one right here kind of goes through, uh, a little bit of a recap here, uh, where it says, uh, story involves a mixture of a defecting Russian general and rebels in Afghanistan. Bond has to stop a covert operation in Afghanistan devised by the mad Russian general um, who's really a kitten in private. So it's like, if he's if he's talking about Georgi, like, I guess so. I guess he's kind of a... Uh, he's kind of soft, I guess. I don't know. I guess that's who he means. Because I don't think he's talking about Koskov. I think he's talking about Georgi. But who, anyway. Who knows what this guy is? I don't know. <laughs> um, this says... Uh, uh, and a mad off his nut American general who is seriously obsessed with weapons. It's not even funny. Uh, for the first time in a while, the Bond girl is actually related to the plot, but she, uh, but she isn't really acted well by Miriam Diabo, uh, making her into a simpleton who looks good. Yes, the streak hasn't ended yet. So the wait. So she didn't think Miriam Diabo did a good job. Yeah, he didn't think that he didn't think that uh, she did a good job. I, th I think for. For Miriam to play Kara, it's like you know Kara is a little bit out of her element because she doesn't know how to do any of this. She's she's a musician. This whole world with like Russian generals and KGB and spies and you know the whole you know the Mujahideen in the desert and she doesn't know how to do it. Which is crazy because when we was watching that, they were like we were like that's Al Qaeda. That's basically Al Qaeda. <laughs> Because if you know anything about the Mujahideen in the 80s, that's what Al-Qaeda was basically formed out of. Yeah, they didn't know this at the time when they made the movie, that that, that would that would be Al-Qaeda. Yeah, that those uh, those Af Afghani rebels that were fighting the Russians, and, you know, when uh, Bond meets, uh, what's his name, Kamran Shah, uh, yeah. in the jail or whatever, and he frees him, and, you know, they find out that that's actually, like, the leader of the Mujahideen, or at least of that group anyway, of the Mujahideen, and uh, you know they—that's basically when they start dealing with the opium on the truck. And I think it's really smooth how Timothy Dalton does 
hiding in plain sight because he basically just tries to blend in with all the other guys. It's you know, very smooth, and it's like they with show the scarf, up. and he's hiding himself. He and, gets stuck in there, and then when the airport and they're unloading it, he just kind of gets into the thing, and then he gets into the plane and sets the bomb, and yeah, they. He messes up because he didn't cover his face with the scarf whenever he goes to go out of the plane. But yeah, uh, and he gets recognized. He gets recognized, but it ends up working out because I mean he's an awesome Bond. If you watch those movies and you're like, I wasn't entertained. You're, I don't. I don't know how you can do that. I mean, it's, it's very well written. <laughs> it's, it's very well directed. Like Living Daylights is one of my favorite Bond movies ever. You know. And I it, have a harder time, and, and I don't hate them. I have a harder time watching the Sean Connery Bonds now in modern day than I do his, because his still still seems like it's able to be watched whenever you're used to like this new technology and things like that. It doesn't seem that bad. When you yeah. watch a Connery Bond, you're just kind of like, I like these movies, but... They're from a different time. It, lo- it looks... You know, not not great. It doesn't look great, but you know Connery does a good job in them, and they're pretty good movies for the most part. And, they're iconic, yeah. And but you know sometimes it's hard to watch some of those movies now. Uh, but uh, Timothy Dalton's doesn't really seem that too much different. I so mean, the uh, the next hate comment. This is from uh, Key Guy Thirteen. Right, and the tagline <laughs> says, "Can you say too intense?" And uh, this right. is this is the second of October, two thousand two, uh, and I love how uh, IMDb has this where it captures the date that they made it because we yeah. can look at different time periods. So this is two thousand two. This is a little bit later on than the first comment, right? So, and this is quite a, a bit of time after uh, the actual movie came out. So it says, uh, uh, he, he actually, he likes the movie overall, but what he hated about the movie was Timothy Dalton, right? That's one of the reasons we're How talking about How can you about like it. the movie overall and hate Timothy Dalton? Yeah. He is the movie. The movie's about James Bond. Timothy Dalton is James Bond. Right. And so it says in his second paragraph, because his first paragraph, he actually kind of makes a jab at the people he's talking to, which is weird. But it says, as for Timothy Dalton, I can't stand him as Bond. Some other person said they thought Timothy Dalton was lighthearted and smooth as Bond. Then they put question mark. Please tell me what scene that was because I think you're crazy. Uh, Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan both played Bond too serious. Timothy Dalton was the darkest, least suave Bond of them all. Uh, Someone should remake this movie with a lighter, more Roger Moore type actor then it would be perfect. Or maybe Pierce Brosnan played it more like Remington Steel. There's a lot to digest on that. I was going to say, has he seen any of those? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like, if you think that he's not suave, it's like, look at what he does with Kara. He's suave through like that entire movie. I would say he's more suave than Roger Moore. Yeah. Roger Moore had some, uh, he had some... You know, he was suave, and he had some gravitas, and, you know, ladies liked him and stuff. But I, I don't think that it's like when you look at the uh, the job that Dalton does, even, you know, using License to Kill as an example, I don't think that Loopy, uh, who, who was played by Talisa Soto, I don't think that she would have followed James if he wasn't suave at all. 
Yeah, tell me you can look in T Dalt's eyes and not take your clothes off. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's the thing, like, Timothy Dalton's a beautiful man, especially He's in the late eighties. He's a beautiful man. Um uh, but you know, the thing is is like if you if you have this with a, a Roger Moore type actor, where it was played, you know, a little bit more on the cheese ball side, Living Daylights I don't think would have been as good. The only part of that movie that seems like it's from the Roger Moore era is when they're on the mountain on the cello case. Mm-hmm. That's the only part that seems like a Roger Moore type of. Uh, and that was more event. them trying to keep, you know, the whole uh, atmosphere of Bond trying to trying to go like they're trying to keep things from other errors in the movies that way i mean they even still do it to this day you know whenever you're watching you know daniel craig and stuff there's there's some stuff that came from the other movies that they put in there and people get excited about because it's old school and you know bond and kara on the cello case you know sledding into austria and it's like we have nothing to declare only a cello and he like throws (laughs) it over the thing and you know (laughs) And, like, that kind of stuff. And then, like, it echoes through the mountains. I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know, because that's, like, the only kind of cheeseball part of this movie. Because the rest of it's pretty serious. And for the one thing is, is when people say, like, they played Bond too serious. Bond is a secret agent with a license to kill. He has to be able to make decisions that affect a lot of things. And even when you look at, like, Daniel Craig's Bond, he's suave when he has to be. He's brutal when he has to be, but he switches all those things on and off when he needs them because he's trying to get a mission accomplished. You know, and the thing with License to Kill, it's uh, it's about Sanchez and it's about, you know, the drugs and all that kind of stuff. But in Living Daylights, it's about the Russians, you know, which, of course, it's the 80s. So pretty much all the Bun movies in the 80s are about the Russians because you're still basically yeah. in the Cold War. You guys are right. I mean, it's too serious. There are other people that they're going to cast. Chevy Chase, Steve Martin. <laughs> I can't imagine Chevy Chase doing this movie. Like They're Americans. Just... They would never be allowed to play him. But yeah. you're talking about serious actors. I mean, who? Let, let me know who you guys wanted to play Bond in that era. Besides Pierce Brosnan, who couldn't play him. I mean, you know, who was the only other one that probably could have done it? Like, Tom Selleck? Tom Se- Do you want Tom Selleck to play Bond? Come on. I love the guy, but no. I mean, he would have looked like him. If he didn't have the mustache, he would kind but of look like Bond. Also, American. They don't allow Americans to play Bond. Which makes me sad, because we'll never see John Hamm as Bond. No John Hamm. That sucks, because I think he'd Bond. be an awesome American He looks Bond. exactly like James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can we make an exception? We let Australians play Bond. We can't let Americans play Bond. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, he ended. I mean, it's it's apparent that Ian Fleming was okay with changing the origin of James Bond. I mean, he wasn't always Scottish. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it can change. Yeah. But, you know, when you when you look at a comment like that where it says that. Uh, he was the darkest and least suave uh, Bond of them all. It's like, I, you know, I, I think what it is is like we just have different approaches because my thought is is that when Dalton's performance needs to be suave, that's what he is. When he needs to be serious, that's what he is. But that's what Bond is supposed to be. He's kind of like Clay. 
He molds himself into what he needs to be to get through the situation. Yeah, you don't go watch a Bond film to see a comedy. If you want to right. see that, then watch a comedy. Right. But, I mean, you know, he's not always going to be like a smooth, like, lady talker. You know, like, like, a, like a ladies' man and just always able to pick up women. Because a lot of times his mission isn't important about that. It's not important to the mission that he, you know, has sex with ladies and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, not every mission's the same. Now, I mean, the formula up until that point was that, that, you know, Bond basically was always, like, a really good talker with the ladies. And he is in every movie, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Daniel Craig's not even talking with the lady. He's just like, hey, I'm Bond. What's up? Right. And then he just shows off his, like, you know, his abs. And then, yeah, and then like, Vesper's like, oh, damn. I mean, she even made a comment about his, like, you know, perfectly shaped ass. Yeah, I mean... Craig probably is the sexiest man to ever play Bond. <laughs> yeah. I bet Jason Manzoukas is rock hard. Yeah, right rock now. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about, you know, Craig and like his six pack from Casino yeah. Royale, you know? He, he knows he loves him. Right. Um, but uh, it's uh, it, it's interesting because like that's, that was a lot of the comments that I found on lights, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Living Daylights. Living Daylights. And yeah. Living Daylights, I think, for a lot of people, they don't hate that one maybe as much. There are people that hate it, as we've established, because there are a lot of people that hated, they might not have hated the whole movie, but they definitely hated Timothy Dalton because they thought he was wrong for Bond. Right, right. But Dude, this is years later, too. Both of those were a year late, years later. Yeah. And, uh... The last one was from 2002. You know, and that's still fairly recent. So these people were either holding on to, like, serious grudges and they're like, what's this internet thing that that I can do now? <laughs> oh, you can, you know, post hate about movies <coughs> and watch porn. I guess that's probably how they explained it to them. Yeah. It's, uh... But it's interesting because when you get to License to Kill, oh, boy, is there a lot of hate for this movie. Really? Yeah. A lot of people hated License to Kill because of its tone now for me license to kill was always like one of my favorites it is probably the most brutal of all of them well up until you get maybe to casino royale and then there's the whole thing where you know they take the the bottom of the chair out and he's basically oh, getting yeah, tortured yeah. like yeah, that that's, that's a little unsettling to watch but there's stuff in license to kill when like when they're lowering felix into the shark tank and you're like oh my god no this is just gonna be brutal you know, like, there's moments of this movie where it's like it does take a much darker tone. But I think for a lot of people, it was too much. And they weren't ready for it. But a lot of these comments, and I have some of these. Uh, yeah, one of them is from 2013. So that's actually wow. fairly recent, you know. That's just a few years ago. But the first one that I found for License to Kill, uh, this is uh, from... Jack Malvern, and uh, he's actually from London, so he is genuinely English. Okay, English guy giving his opinion <coughs> on Bond years giving later. His, his two cents. And so his uh, tagline says, uh, Bond's Nadir, which for those of you who don't know, that means like the lowest point, whereas Zenith is the highest point. Anyway, this isn't dictionary.com. But anyway. Uh, it's good that you explained that. Right. <laughs> Some people don't know what the word Nadir means. But... Um, so, this is from uh, February 7th, 2005. Uh, fans will never agree about what ingredients make Bond truly great, but the closest we get to a consensus is that License to, Con License to Kill contains none of them. <laughs> Despite the film's title, Bond has no License to Kill, 
because he is not the government-sanctioned assassin to which we have become accustomed. Instead, he is a renegade who loses his decorum and punches a civil servant when he is instructed not to avenge the maiming of a friend, Felix Leiter, and the rape of Leiter's bride. More than that, uh, she all, Della also gets killed in the movie. So his, his problem is that the guy, the Timothy Dalton's Bond, ignored orders and went after the people that killed his friend and raped his wife. Yeah. That's his problem? Yeah, basically it was like, well, he doesn't have a license to kill because, you know, he, he basically punched a civil servant. It's like he punched one of the MI6 guys. He punched him, didn't shoot him. Because his, his problem is not with the MI6 guys or M when M comes, like, you know, to bring him in, basically. His problem is is that Sanchez is still on the loose, and Sanchez is a bit of a psychopath. And so is Dario, as you talked about Benicio Del Toro earlier. Yeah. Dario is, like, psychotic in this movie. Right, he is. Very psychotic. And that that's this dude's problem is that he didn't follow complete orders. Of course he isn't. It's basically a revenge movie. Yeah, essentially. I mean, that's that's what this is. It's a revenge movie. Bond's getting revenge on his friend no matter what. That's awesome. I mean, that's what you want, right? Right. And so the whole life, the whole thing about, you know, Bond doing, thing for, doing things for personal reasons, uh, Daniel Craig's Bond is all about that. And so... Basically, all he does. The, the very thing that... <laughs> one of the things that people love is that you know, about Daniel Craig's Bond is that he's not a robot. He doesn't just blindly follow what MI6 tells him to do. He does have his own head about him, and he makes his own decisions. Skyfall, he literally just leaves. Yeah. After he gets shot, he leaves for months. Right. <laughs> only time, he, only reason he comes back is because uh, he's seen that uh, MI6 got attacked. Yeah, and he was concerned about him. That was it. That's the only reason he came back. Or he would have just, you know. He would have just stayed on that island, fucking yeah. around with scorpions and shots and hot bitches. Which was an <laughs> awesome scene. Yeah, it's like, when he takes the shot with the scorpion, that is like one of the best scenes, you know. That's but, cool. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like the same thing that Daniel Craig gets praised for in his version. People shit on Timothy Dalton because they're like, well, you know, he plays it too serious and he has all these like character flaws like you know trying to pursue sanchez even when you know he just throws his license to kill away and you know escapes from him and all this kind of stuff so how are you going to praise somebody for playing a role like craig does and then trash timothy dalton for doing the exact same thing in the late 80s he did that like 20 years ago before daniel craig even got involved in any of this and it's like Craig gets praised for his version of this, and Dalton gets shit on. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Skyfall came out in 2012. Right. This guy posts this in 2013. 2013. Well, no, that, that's the next quote. The next oh, one's which, from, which, which this one? one's 2005, but this okay, was never around mind. the time that's my bad. that because uh, uh, Casino Royale was 2006, right? Okay, so this Daniel Craig right before. Ha- yeah, the Daniel Craig's thing hasn't happened yet. So this guy must be really disappointed now. Right, yeah. It's like, oh man, the stuff that I trashed on Dalton for, Craig did the same thing. Uh, so it says, uh, with hindsight, the writer's decision to eject Bond from the establishment was more foolish than brave. The reason Bond is so intriguing is because on the face of it, he is morally repugnant. 
He is a borderline psychopath whose conscience is, is unaffected either by murder or his use of women. How can an how can an, an audience be sympathetic to a man with no sympathy? The answer is this, that although he plays fast and loose with morality, he retains a code of ethics governed by loyalty to his country. He is the human embodiment of a real uh, politic. Or, yeah, that's really kind of worded badly there at the end. But, but the thing is, the whole idea that uh, he plays fast and loose with morality, Dalton's doesn't at all. If you, if you look at License to Kill, as soon as he gets back to the house, because he was about to leave, he's at the airport, and he was like, you know, what's all the commotion? And the girl at the, you know, at the airport was like, oh, it's like they, they busted some big drug dealer, you know, or some big drug dealer escaped. And he's like, uh, and he's like, you know, like leaves immediately. And she was like, you know, trying to get more information. And he just takes off because he's like, oh my God, Sanchez is loose. And so as soon as he comes back and he finds that Della has, we presume that she's been sexually assaulted, right? And we're pretty sure that Dario did it because he made a comment about her honeymoon right. later on in the movie. And then, you know, Della's dead. So the bride-to-be is dead. And Felix is maimed because he was basically fed to the sharks. He lost, what, one of his legs and he lost uh, one of his arms. Right. Uh, and he's in critical condition. He's, like, wrapped up. He's bloody when Bond finds him in his house. And at that moment... Nothing would, no, nothing for the country would make more sense than going to kill Sanchez, because he definitely wants to kill Sanchez now. Because if you know anything about Dalton's version of Bond, is that Dalton's version is very loyal to people that are loyal to him. One of them being Felix Leiter. He's he's loyal to Kara through the entire movie in Living Daylights right. because he doesn't do anything to harm her. Right, and then in this movie. He's extremely loyal to Felix. That's why he goes on this whole thing to get Sanchez. And he even he even gets help from Q doing it too because Q brings him all kinds of gadgets. He brings him that really awesome uh, toothpaste that he uses as like the right. detonator for the window. And, you know, so the, I think the whole thing that he doesn't have a moral compass, Bond very much has a moral compass. It's just in this particular case, there's nothing that they could have told him about another mission that he had to go on that would have swayed him or would have persuaded him to go ahead and do his mission other than going after Sanchez. Yeah, that's that's uh, what his main goal was. And it was the right goal, and he did the right thing. Yeah. And everyone knew it. So it, it wasn't that big of a deal, really. And uh, Timothy Dalton enjoyed playing Bond. And you could tell by the way that he plays the character. It was the critics and the fans that hated it and tore it apart. And then um, basically praises Daniel Craig for doing the exact same thing, which is, which is amazing. Daniel Craig is amazing. But he took Timothy Dalton's bond whenever he decided to do his own. So, Yeah. But the next little bit of this is, says, what makes the film beyond redemption? Or, oh, no, sorry. No, I'm skipping ahead here. Uh, it says, and a terror uh, uh, makes a comment about he's just nothing but a hitman now. Uh, and a terribly dour one at that. And it says, uh, Timothy Dalton studied Ian Fleming's books to get back to the original character. But in so doing, only reminds us of why Sean Connery and Roger Moore did not. 
Bond is not interesting because of his human qualities. It's, it is his ability to operate without fear, love, or regret that make him compelling. False. Now, if anything, Bond, the reason that he is so good at what he is is because of his passion for everything that he does. Whether it's people in his life, it's his job, everything that he does it revolves around love to a degree. Because yeah. you have to love your country, you have to love your countrymen in order to do what you do. Well, that and you, you gotta uh, you gotta realize Bond was an orphan. He's always looking for a place in the world. Yeah. So he's always gonna be loyal to his friends. He's always gonna be loyal to his country, but probably not to the sacrifice of the few friends he does have. So this movie makes sense if you know anything about what Bond's been through. Yeah. And Timothy Dalton does, and he's correct. Timothy Dalton did read the books. He did research. Sean Connery did not. At all. Yeah. And he says this about almost any movie that he does. Yeah. Or did, because he retired because of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> Which, Remember, we're beyond the hate. We're not going to talk no, about it. No, I actually don't hate that movie. Uh, I don't hate it either. I mean, uh, I... I mean, it's not one of my favorites or anything. Yeah, but, like, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy the movie sometimes. I've seen it. I, I think Stuart Townsend's performance in that movie is amazing. Honestly, yeah. I mean, you know, but anyway, that's off topic. Right. Um, but we're just going to end up talking about Connery and, and stuff all over. All no, this this, this this isn't about Connery. This is about T-Dalt. But a lot of times in order to make a point, you have to, you know, put comparisons on it. Right. You, ha so, you have to mention other things. You can't literally just talk about the one topic, which right. is how Bond is betrayed. You can't literally betray him the same way every time because people's already seen it they don't want to see it over and over and over again they want to see different versions which is why daniel craig decided to basically go to the dark side in his <laughs> version <laughs> and uh yeah it worked but uh so the next se section it says uh and th this part uh you're, you're gonna you're gonna probably enjoy this what makes this film beyond redemption is is the awful script and unremarkable acting robert davi uh, playing a heavily accented drugs baron, which is Sanchez, by the way, who speaks fluent English except for the word amigo, is actively bad, while the rest of the cast scraped through as forgettable. Wow. So the thing that this particular person really hated the most was, like, completely wrong. And then he was like, oh, and by the way, Sanchez talks like perfect English, except when he says amigo. That's the only time he uses his accent. It's because he mostly deals with Americans. Yeah, this guy's racist. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's like, you know, it, not everybody who speaks Spanish always speaks in a Spanish accent necessarily. They do when they speak Spanish. They, they speak whatever their native tongue is. But, you know, to say like, well, he doesn't use his accent enough unless he's like using the word amigo. It's like, I, that doesn't even really make any sense. It's like, you know, I mean, all the, I mean, he, because Sanchez is supposed to be Colombian, right? But he doesn't live in Colombia. That's just where he came from. He lives in Isthmus City, which is in, it was supposed to be Mexico, right? Isn't that where, <laughs> you know, Sanchez's operation is based out of? Isn't Isthmus City supposed to be in Mexico? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there's, 
there's people that speak English that are from other countries. There's actually a colony in Brazil that took in Confederate soldiers after the Civil War. And it was basically, like, even to this day, they kind of speak um, Portuguese with a southern accent. So it's kind of strange, but... um, There's colonies like that everywhere, but there's also people that speak English that go to other places and people might want to just know English because they have to deal with English speaking people and that's the case here so it's stupid yeah but uh, you know I just think that sometimes people have a tendency to be too harsh on accents that's the thing that he nitpicked Uh, well you know his accent wasn't perfect it's okay, like, I mean, I mean, he he speaks Spanish when he has to, but for the most of the movie, most of the people that he talks to are English people, you know, or English speaking people, you know, like uh, like Crest, you know, the guy who is basically helping, you know, Sanchez with all of his underwater stuff, and he was the guy who you know owned the place that had the sharks when they brought Felix back. You know, Crest is just like I, I would imagine he's just like an American dude, right? And so the whole thing is is that. You know, if you're going to nitpick about the way that Sanchez plays the character, I think he does a very good job. I mean, the way that Robert Davi plays Sanchez, he does a very good job playing that character. Yeah. Because you believe him as like this sadistic, you know, drug dealer type guy. He, it almost, it reminds, even with like the way that like his face looks, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like some Scarface type elements. That he took a little bit of Scarface and was like, I'm going to take a little bit from Pacino and the whole Scarface thing because that's what, you know, that's what. Scarface was was you know he was a drug dealer and all that kind of stuff and he kind of mixed that into his like Sanchez character. Right, right. I mean, when you're talking about accents and stuff, is is this same guy criticizing Michael Fassbender and Inglorious Bastards for playing an English guy that's trying to uh, act as a German guy when in fact Michael Fassbender is a German guy acting like an English guy that's trying to act like a German guy? Right. Are you are you are you criticizing that because I thought that was perfection. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's actually German, so he can actually do a real German accent. But he was actually playing an English character in the movie. So <laughs> uh, so the so the next bit, this next comment, this is... Uh, 2013 guy? This is, is 2013, guy? right? So here we finally get into somebody who's doing a modern look, you know, during... The because uh, 2013 was right after Skyfall, right? Right. So we've already seen Craig for like three movies by the time he makes this comment. Okay, let's see what he's got to say. So this is a uh, big, very bad Tom from United States. So he's big, a U.S. cat. Big bad Tom. Yeah. Wonder if this is Tom Brady. Anyway, uh, but it says gruesome, and they does gave he it. Say, a, does he say something racist about needing nothing but white receivers? Uh, no. That okay, doesn't never mind. Might not be that. Tom Brady then. Yeah, it might not be. Uh, <laughs> but the tagline for his comment just says gruesome and he gave the movie a 2 out of 10 and it says uh, this is the only R-rated James Bond movie even though all of them have been full of sex and violence reason they push things to extreme here James Bond's CIA friend which is Felix Leiter uh, is maimed by a shark and left alive his bride raped and killed and Bond's first response is to have a corrupt agent fed alive to sharks himself. Also, hold on, stop you about the ratings. The reason the other ones weren't rated R isn't because this one went over the top. It's because the ratings for movies were different. 
earlier on when filmmaking. I mean, there's literally nudity and um, 16 Candles, and it's rated PG. Right. Because they allowed that. Yeah, because the ratings changed in, like, the late 80s. Yeah, now, now you couldn't even show nudity in a movie without it being rated, you know, PG-13 at least, or rated yeah. R. They, the, the only thing you can, like, show without much of a problem is, like, what, like a man's ass cheeks? Yeah, something like that. Or it's probably rated R for nudity. Right. So, okay, so the rating systems was different in the 80s than it was today. So, okay. Uh, so it says, uh, in the second part of it here, it says, The main villain is a drug lord whom the British Secret Service says Bond shouldn't waste his time on despite everything. Uh, the idea is that Bond is supposed to be intensely loyal to his country, but he abandons all of that and his wildcat revenge against the drug lord. The villain, bad though he is, is not on a level with Goldfinger or other genuine world threats, and one would have expected Bond to deal with him on his own accord when the right time came. But Bond doesn't act like Bond. He acts like Rambo. And in the end, winds <laughs> up simply back in the British Secret Service as if nothing happened. That's a little too forgiving for entity, for any entity to deal with someone who breaks its core rules. Yeah, so, he didn't, technically, I mean, yeah, he, he was kind of a rebel there, but he took down, like, a drug lord. They're not going to be like, we can't have you, Bond. I mean, you're our best agent, like, of all time. You're fired. Right, yeah. And, you know, and even M says, like, this is not a country club, 007. And, you know, like, you can't just, like, come and go when you want to. But the thing is, is that he's doing it for personal reasons because it's for Felix and it's for Della. Right. Right. Which is something that Bond does a lot, actually, is does things for personal reasons because uh, if he thinks it's that personal to him, then it's more important than staying in the agency. Yeah. Basically, for the most part. But the other thing, too, that I think is interesting is that when people say, like, he's not really that big of a threat, when you look at, like, his plot of what he's trying to do, I mean, he's basically taking cocaine and putting it into gasoline and then taking it and then transporting it in tanker trucks like you know into other countries and then he's going to have like a, a you know this chemist guy that's going to break it back down into where it can be uh gasoline again and it can be like cocaine right and it's like when you start looking at that and how they was going to hide it in the tanker trucks but he it, it's not just him he's bringing the Asians in on it because he has an entire group of like Asian guys that are coming in. Probably North Koreans. He's got people. You know, and it's one thing I noticed too when I was watching License to Kill again, and they get to where they're in where they're in um, a Sanchez's casino. Right. And one of the, the main guys that's like the leader of this like little Asian group is Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, who played uh, Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. Right, right. right yeah. He plays Quang in this movie. Because I'm going through and I'm like, wait a minute, is that Shang Tsung? And I grabbed the remote and I paused it and I was like, yeah, that's the, the Kiri uh, Hiroyuki Tagawa. And so he was in Bridge this of Dragons, movie. best movie he was in. <laughs> <laughs> so he was in this movie. And I think the the interesting thing is that when you when you look at this movie, it actually it has two people from the Mortal Kombat movie in it. Because not only is he in it, but Talisa Soto's in it and she plays Katana. Oh. So there's two people in this movie that went to the Mortal Kombat movie eventually. Which I thought was just kind of an interesting little thing that they both end up working on this movie 
And this is one of like Talisa Soto's like first movies that she's in. It's really the first one that that Tagawa was in too. And then they end up working together again when they get to Mortal Kombat. Well, Mortal Kombat's obviously a sequel to this movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Except for the fact that he well, no, maybe he dies as Quang and then he's like reborn as Shang Tsung. Yeah, yeah. That's how we're gonna Your go with that. Your soul is mine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but Bond doesn't act like Rambo at all in this movie. I would have liked to seen that. Actually, <laughs> if he would have, if he just would have went, just like just just ape went, shit and just murdered everybody, no, he has to play it cool because he's basically he even tries to like try and ingratiate himself to Sanchez, right? He tries to get in on his organization, so he's basically you know just this like this mysterious guy who he comes in, he has like five million dollars, he deposits it in the bank, he goes to the he goes to the you know to the blackjack table and he's putting like ten thousand dollars, you know, boom, down, down putting all this money down and Sanchez is like, no, no, let, let me see what he does. You know, and he tries to ingratiate himself to Sanchez because he, he's trying to get Sanchez to think that he wants to work for him. It's like, you know, I, I can be very loyal. And he was like, I need loyalty because my, you know, my people are loyal to me, you know? So he's trying to, if he was just doing like a Rambo thing, he would have gotten into that casino and just would have started shooting up the place till Sanchez shows up. And yeah. then he would have tried to shoot Sanchez. What he ends up doing is he ends up basically taking that toothpaste stuff and putting it across the window, the armored window, and then he's going to have the window blow out, and then he's going to take that, that cool sniper rifle that Q gave him that's like also supposed to be like a camera, I think, it's, or something like that, and then he ends up putting it together, and it's got the, the sensor where it can only read his right. palm, and he's going to blow the window out, and then when, when Sanchez is... Like disoriented, he doesn't know what's going on. He's like looking out the window. He's gonna go ahead and snipe him. Well, then he gets attacked by the Asian guys because you know they have this whole little subplot thing where they've been trying to get access to his facility for years. They've been working on this, and then Bond comes along and like just kind of scares him out of it. And you know, so they bring Bond back. All the Asian guys end up dead. You know, Jet Li should be the villain in the next Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty awesome as like this. Uh, you know, like a like a, like a Chinese based villain. Because so far it's only like white guys. Well, and Javier Bardem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then like you know like Telly Savalas, which uh, I forgot what Telly Savalas was, but uh, he played uh, Blofeld and Blofeld, uh, yeah, on yeah. Her Majesty's Secret Service. I forgot what Telly Savalas is. I have to look that up. I think he's email like, us at beyondthehayatyahoo.com <laughs> and tell us what Telly Savalas is. Actually, you don't. You don't need to do that because we have a thing called Google. Um, no, you tell us. <laughs> I want you guys to guess without looking at Google what he is. If you look at Google, you're disqualified from winning nothing. Great. Right, yeah. uh, <laughs> All you win is a pat on the back. So the last comment that I have was actually. They rated it the best we probably have ever had on this show so far. They gave it a 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10. And that's the reason I saved this one. I put those two next to each other. is because this comment says, A tuxedoed Rambo, but not Bond at all. So here we go with this This whole, is the same thing. These he's guys. He's an action, you know, psychopath guy. No, he's not. Uh, so this is October 2005. And uh, it's uh, it says... It's, it might, I don't know if it's like uh, Michelle or if it's like Mikkel or whatever. It looks like Michelle. I'm not exactly sure, but they're from Switzerland. So, But we're going to imagine that probably most of these hate comments are dudes. Unless yeah, it's like, that's the norm. Yeah, we, we usually assume that it's a Just dude. Just dudes. Because only dudes would have this kind of time to be bitching about movies on the internet. Yeah. Um, 
So it says on here, uh, uh, I think License to Kill is the weakest entry in the series. The first problem is Timothy mm-hmm. Dalton. Although he is a good actor, he's definitely not 007. No charisma, no humor. He's too serious and romantic and too sadist. Uh, in a certain way, he can match the literary Ian Fleming, but he lacks the essential qualities of the cinematic bond. Right, a he's witty... absolutely right. Moonraker is way better. <laughs> a witty, cynical, sophisticated super spy with women and gadgets. But that's the thing. He doesn't really need gadgets. The only real gadget that he has in this is the um, the the uh, explosive toothpaste and the gun. The rest of it is basically just him dealing with what he has available. Because Q doesn't give him like a whole ton of gadgets like he does in the other movies. Remind you of somebody? Daniel Craig. Yeah. I mean, the, all they gave Craig was a radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here you go. I mean, in And it was of- actually a part of an awesome capture scene. He's like, it's called a radio. <laughs> right. And the thing is, is like when you look at like the Dalton movies, he doesn't really, even in like a license to kill, he doesn't have like his own signature car that's tricked out. Like in, in Living Daylights, at least he has the Aston Martin with right. the missiles and the cool stuff in it. In this movie, he doesn't have any of that because it's not really about, you know, the women. It's not about the gadgets or any of that kind of stuff. It's about Bond trying to kill Sanchez and in the way, hopefully destroy his operation because of the drug ring that he's trying to run across the world here. And uh, I also thought it was kind of funny when you watch License to Kill and you see the the cult or whatever that's uh, like the cult leader's Wayne Newton. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I just think it's funny when like at the end of, uh, towards the end when like the facility is like just, it's on fire and all the tanker trucks have left with all the rigged gasoline and all that kind of stuff. And then um, you have Bouvier, Pam Bouvier, who we haven't really even talked about yet. But Pam, she's like the other kind of Bond girl besides uh, Loopy. Um, so Loopy is like Sanchez's mistress. But Pam Bouvier is basically working like undercover in Sanchez's operation. Right. But Bouvier, at the end, when they're on the golf cart and she picks up James and they're trying to escape so we can go after them and get on the tankers... Um, she runs by and grabs that bag full of money and all he says is bless your heart because <laughs> he knew he'd been had like his entire operations burning behind him but that was a you know but it's like when you look at that whole drug operation getting blown up like that you're like that's actually a really ingenious cover for a drug operation it's it like is. a televangelist system where like they call in and it's like they make donations but they're not donations it's how many kilos or how much they want out of their kilos right. of cocaine bought you know, and so I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like when you see the the cult, and it was like, oh my god, that is Wayne Newton. That's crazy. It's Wayne Newton. What are, I was kind of thinking, wonder if they got that uh, thought from maybe the Children of God stuff that was going on around the same time. I don't know, or like the uh, Jonestown cult yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of that yeah. stuff was going along. So I guess they probably added it in the, yeah. in the movie. Like a, but, a dirty evangelist guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's see. It says, uh, yeah, so continuing on, it says, uh, the film itself is not a Bond movie. Look at the plot. Bond seeks revenge from a, uh, for a friend uh, of him and, and his wife. By the way, it's totally a Bond movie. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> a Bond movie. Assassinated by drug trafficker Sanchez. British Secret Service doesn't allow him to do that, and Bond's license to kill was revoked. Our agent decides to go on all the same. Usually 007 never works alone. He makes love and kills for the Union Jack only. That's what uh, that's what makes his character funny. With License to Kill, 007 
makers put an episode from a legendary franchise on at the same a action level of an ordinary Hollywood picture. The film is also too violent for being a Bond flick. Well, sometimes in the international world of spies and you know drug stuff, like when you look at those Mexican drug cartels, they're ruthless. You can't tell a story about somebody like Sanchez, who is like a Scarface type of guy. Well, I, I would having, imagine that he's probably inspired at that time by Pablo Escobar. Yeah, Escobar. And then they were trying to capture the violence because Pablo Escobar was a very violent guy that ran the drug cartel. He basically ran Mexico government into the ground. Yeah. Because he owned it for the most part. And then the whole country that wasn't surrounding Pablo Escobar suffered while everybody that was around him thrived. So the locals loved him, but everybody else hated him because he basically destroyed their entire economy because the drug trade went to America. Right. But, you know, for the people that think that, like, this is purely like a revenge movie, it's like Sanchez has a lot of power with the money that he has. Yeah. And with those drugs and everything, imagine what he could do if he could actually get that that plot inactive where he could move all that money. I mean, he basically had an agent turn loyalty for $2 million. He was getting arrested, and he was like, he was like, I'll give $2 million to whoever will spring me out of this. And then one of the CIA agents basically is like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I'm going to take it. him up. I want some money. Hits the, hits the agent in the back of the truck with the rifle, and then it careens off, and then basically they have this whole thing where – you know, he uh, Sanchez gets saved because they bring him a scuba tank and he ends up swimming. Right. He goes uh, back over to, like, Crest. And then when Bond finds that same agent, you know, he's like, uh, you know, hey, we'll, you know, we'll split the money or whatever. And he was like, no, here, you take it. I think, you, I think you've earned it. And he, like, throws the briefcase of the $2 million at the guy and then he falls in and he gets ate by the shark. That's very much a very Bond moment. Yeah, the guy deserved it. I mean, if you don't think he deserved it, then... Hate it for you. Yeah, because, I mean, he basically sprung Sanchez and got that guy free. Because Sanchez was pretty much done. I mean, he was in the CIA custody. They had him. He was done. You know, he was going to go to jail probably forever for the drug trafficking and murders and everything else that he's done. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, like, the, the, the guy that Loopy was messing around with, I mean, he cut that guy's heart out. Like, he literally cut his heart out of his yeah. chest. That's psychopath. And Bond, I think, did everybody a favor by taking this guy out. Yeah, it's like, Bond's too mean, but anyway. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I think when you when you look at, like, the, the two movies in general, it, when Bond at the end of License to Kill, and, it, you know, he was like, Sanchez, uh, you know, was like trying to take him out after, like, the truck flips over and they both fall out of it, or fall off of it, and then... Um, you know, he was like, don't you want to know why I'm doing all this? And then he, like, uh, he takes that lighter that says, like, uh, you know, Felix and Della. You know, it's like the thing from their wedding. And then he, like, because uh, Sanchez is, like, doused in this, like, this, you know, cocaine gasoline. And he takes that lighter and sets him on fire. That's very much him saying, like, you know what? You might have killed, uh, you know, you might have killed Felix. We know that, I know that you killed Della. But now you're going to rot in hell for what you did. And, exactly, and it's, I think it's just it's awesome because that is very much a Bond-like trait to get revenge for something like that. But when you look at the way that Dalton played the character, I think he probably had one of the most pure versions of James Bond that you could have. I think he probably played it the most pure way, and people will have differences in opinions. 
But to say that he wasn't like Bond, that they were just dumb action movies. License to Kill is not a dumb action movie. It's no. actually very well done. And there isn't a lot of action in this movie. All of the action really is at the end of it. Yeah, and it's very good. I mean, it doesn't deserve what it's getting as far as criticism. I mean, it's mainly attacking Timothy Dalton, which is unfair. Yeah. Um, but you guys should go back and rewatch this movie. It's worth it. You'll understand it more, I think, now. Watch both of them. Watch Living Daylights and License to Kill. They're both great, and then if you want to follow it up, go to the, the New Orleans with Daniel Craig and watch it. You can pair yourself. And like I said, you can email us at beyondthehateyahoo.com. We'd like to hear from you guys, see what you guys got to say. And uh, before we end this, we want to do something a little uh, interesting. Uh, if Daniel Craig's not going to play Bond, uh, what actor would you suggest to play Bond next? That, that I would like to see play Bond? Yeah. Uh, Daniel Craig's done with it. Let's say he even plays it again. Now that he's done, who would you like to see next? Um, I'm kind of torn because part of me would love to see Tom Hardy do it. Tom Hardy would be cool. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's uh, very versatile. He, he's got a bunch of stuff going on. He's going to play Venom. Which is going going to be interesting. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why I think it'd be maybe not right for him because he's too busy. So my thought was that I would love to see Tom Hiddleston play him. Tom Hiddleston. Loki. Tom, Tom Hiddleston would be amazing. I had a couple other thoughts that are a little unorthodox. Aaron Taylor Johnson. I thought if they wanted to have another young Bond. Also uh, known as Kick-Ass. He's Kick-Ass. He's, he's English, by the way. He's not actually American. Um, and then Chris Hemsworth. I'd love to see him have another Australian guy uh, play definitely Bond. Be the tallest Bond ever. Yeah, he would. Uh, most of them are 6'2". Chris Hemsworth six five, six six. one of those. Uh, that would be interesting, though. It would be awesome just to see Hemsworth even as a villain. But to see him yeah, as just Bond, uh, that would be awesome. To anything see to do with Bond. Bond or anything else, great. I think Chris Hemsworth is one of those guys that can fit into any profile and do great things with but with this, we're going to end the show. We'll see you next episode. This was Beyond the Hate. Peace.